Thank you for listening to the Iffy Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Carla Jill Helms is here with us today. Hello. Hope everybody's having a great disruptive day. Today, we'll be talking about solving problems versus providing solutions in B2B marketing with Patrick McFadden. Uh, Patrick is the founder and marketing consultant at the small business marketing firm, Indispensable Marketing. Uh, He's active in helping business owners and managing partners of small organizations change the way their clients view what they do and get the phone to ring. Patrick, we're really excited to have you on today. Absolutely. I'm ready to make a ruckus. You know what? I have to say I love that you have indispensable marketing. I love you have that in your name. Yeah, it's quite a name. The story, um, you know, I actually thought that name was taken. I said, it's no way. Nobody hasn't taken indispensable marketing. Uh, you know, I did the whole Google for the domain name and I said, wow, it's available. And then I did the search uh, locally here um, in the State Corporation Commission. And I said, somebody picked indip- indispensable coaching, but nobody took indispensable marketing. I said, well, it's mine. <laughs> wow. Every time I do that and I say, oh, my God, this is available. I got to go get it. And then I look at it again and I had a typo. <laughs> Every time. Only you, guy. Only you. <laughs> yeah. You got to double check. Who knows how many domains I could have purchased that were one letter off somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted dyslexic.com, but I misspelled it. Okay. So the topic today doesn't have its own box. It's already in. It's not self-explanatory. So we're going to rely on you, Patrick, to do some of the explaining for us. Uh, solving problems versus providing solutions. Can you give a general description of what you mean by that? Yeah, so a lot of times, especially in B2B, um, most people really don't want to buy what we're selling. What they really want is that their problems to be solved. And I think that needs to be our focus and our approach. Um, And what I find is in a lot of cases, it's not quite the person that understands the solution the best that wins the business. It's the person who can articulate and understand the problem of the client the best that wins the business. Mm, good point. Absolutely. And so when we really think about, okay, they wouldn't buy my service, my um, software as a service either, if it did not solve this problem. So I'm selling solutions to problems rather than trying to sell um problems to solutions, basically. (laughs) So it doesn't matter how cool your product is, it needs to solve their specific problem. 100%. And then you're saying that's on the product side, but then on the marketing side, stop talking about the functions they don't care about. Stop talking about what the product is. There might be some tiny aspect of it and that's your selling point. Yeah. So another thing like you talked about on the marketing side, you need to refocus your message on problems and not solutions. Because you just think about it from somebody's standpoint of researching, what do they research? They research uh, the problem they have and maybe what ways they could solve that. And then if you just think about it from a Google aspect of, I'm going to go to Google and I'm going to type in how to hire my first employee. Well, if you start talking about all your HR solutions, you're going to get missed. But if you start talking about you know, what are the three things you need to know before you hire the first employee and, and all those other other things. And then say, by the way, we have the first employee program or whatever like that. Then you'll show up and you have a greater chance at winning that business because you've shown that you can understand their problem. Right. So it's a 
it's a version of putting yourself in their shoes, marketing product combined uh, with with your approach. Yep. And the other thing too is that everybody who's buying, they're buying based off what they believe they will get, achieve, relieve, dodge, or in other cases, acquire based on what you're selling. <laughs> right. That's funny. I, I know I've, I've mentioned in, in previous podcasts that um, something I preach to our people here is people don't buy our solution because we have what we have. People buy something because it solves their, their personal problem, makes their lives easier. Basically, if you have an awesome product, but it makes more work for them, it's going to be a tough sell. If you have a mediocre product and it makes their life a little bit easier, now you got their attention kind of. Oh, that's a perfect one. And, you know, I use this example all the time. Um, I have never once heard one of our clients wake up and say, gosh, I really want some more marketing consulting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, would Would they wake up and say, how do I make my phone ring? How do I get on the first page of Google? How do I increase my local presence? Um, And and those are the things and the problems that they want to solve. And it's our job to, you know, educate them on, okay, here is our process and approach to solving your specific problem. This is how we would attack that. Excellent. So we're going to get back to that. I want to jump away a little bit. Um, of course, I mean, the subject today, solving problems versus providing solutions and marketing will be the main focus. But I want to jump back to you a little bit, Patrick, kind of how you got where you're at, where you came from, how you got into this, uh, into consulting and, and starting your own, uh, your own company there. Can you uh, jump in the way, way back machine with me? Absolutely. <laughs> so wherever you want to start, we don't need to go over your childhood, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, I'll give a, I'll give a step stage. I give it like a four stage. So, um, actually it started in childhood. <laughs> With, um, basically you, were just, born, you always knew you wanted to do this. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I was the kid that sold baseball cards and candy and stuff like that. And I, I just figured out that, um, if I could have something that somebody wanted, they would pay for it. And, um, I ended up selling candy around my neighborhood and um, we were the first family to have the membership to Costco. And so I said, I'm in Sam's Club. And I said, wow, all this stuff is in bulk. So I ended up selling it around the neighborhood um, where we lived. People threw trash on the ground. So uh, a notice came around saying, we don't know where the abundance of trash is coming from, but it needs to stop. I went, knocked on the door of the property management company, said, would you pay me to pick up the trash? They said, yes. They said, yes, there's a ton of candy wrappers all of a sudden. We don't know why. Maybe <laughs> you are solving a problem. Solving a problem. Uh, then I would in turn hire my friends to pick up that, And then they would in turn reinvest the money I paid them to buy the candy back for me. You are such an entrepreneur. <laughs> That's great. From there, I, you know, I sold rides in high school too. So I had like the first Uber. Um, uh, solving a problem, actually. My, the problem was my friends wanted to sleep late. And I said, and once they told me, they said, oh, I'll ride with you because I can sleep later. I said, oh, you messed up. I need gas money. <laughs> and then from the consulting standpoint, so I was fortunate enough um, coming out of school, be an entrepreneur, always selling stuff, but have a full-time job too, working in an engineering company. So um, I was in a mechanical department 
Uh, that's kind of stage two of it where I've always been part of a process. So I, I had to coordinate with civil, structural, architectural, electrical, um, around all these different components going into a building. And I always saw how one affected the other. And I too still then looked at different ways to solve problems and stand out. But uh, I decided that I, I needed to look at what I really liked to do and what I enjoyed. So after looking over my all the life experience I had, I said, I really enjoy consulting. I love problem solving. I love the salesmanship, figuring out why somebody's going to buy, how to improve their life. And I said, I think marketing is where it's at. So uh, stage three of that is I basically blog and every day I learn something until somebody said they would pay me for it from reading my blogs. I blog seven days a week about what I learned in marketing, what I'm seeing, how I'm helping people for free and what were the results. Um, and eventually started McFadden coaching in 2010 and realized I wanted to then transition that to a firm and started indispensable marketing in 2012. Well, you found a domain and you said, ah, McFadden's great, but indispensable, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you guys specialize in small businesses, right? Yep. So what do you, when you look at a business, what do you define as small when, um, when you work with companies 50 or less, do you, what's kind of your, uh, your niche? Yep. For us, it's, it's really about the problem that they have. Um, our niche is for that business where they're, they could be at half a million. Typically they're about 750 to 5 million. Um, they, they have a staff, the owner's still involved in the marketing. And typically what we notice is outdated marketing material website is just all over the place. Um, and they notice that their competitors are outranking them and, and beating them in online. And um, they just want somebody to lean on and kind of take care of the stuff and manage all the different moving pieces. And that's where we come in and really fit and, and best serve those type of clients where you know, they can be dealing with eight different vendors from SEO, pay-per-click, website design, branding. And it's like, ah, how do I make all this stuff a moving uh, boat and a process? And that's where we specialize for that type of company. So you probably have some standard processes. Like have uh, you seen the shows like Bar Rescue and some of these, you know, people come into uh, businesses that are struggling and and they have some a checklist of things or like we got to go through this, this, this and this. Uh, do you have something like that when you go into a business um, and, and you're looking to help them with the marketing? Absolutely. We start what we call strategy first or a diagnosis before prescription. So we always want to know what's currently working. What, what have you done? What have you not done? Um, what do your customers think about your business? Who actually makes the best customer for us? Who can we best serve? Um, what does our servicing look like? Uh, invoicing all the touch points, um, really nail down the brand and the, and the culture and the messaging. Um, and it's pretty much that big intake process up front of discovery so we can then present what we, what we found. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? Is really getting all that data. Do you just consult with them when they have all of these eight plus, you know, vendors, or do you actually help them do some execution, pare them down? Yep. So what we found is that um, not only understanding marketing is difficult, buying marketing services is difficult, and then implementing the marketing services is difficult as well. 
So what we've found is after we do a discovery phase, we move into execution where we either will manage the vendors to execute the plan as it's laid out. Or if you have an internal team, we work with them to coordinate and orchestrate the efforts. Um, And so we work both ways. Either we can handle it on our side or we work with your internal team or you may be working with an outside vendor that you love. And we just go ahead and uh, partner with them and to make everything happen from an execution standpoint. But what's important about this is that they are um, implementing based off how we are coordinating and mapped it out. So it's very strategic in the time that they put towards executing on initiatives for our clients. Yeah, that's, that's the engineer in you. And that's awesome because most business or business uh, owners, they think that way. They may not execute that way, but they think that way. Right. They, especially yeah. small business, you execute seat of the pants, but you have some big thoughts. <laughs> they do. And, you know, it's funny, I was speaking with someone earlier today and they helped me realize um, a lot of times what happens is we almost up the level of professionalism for our clients and um, who they're attracting that they tend to raise their prices um, a lot and never have any pushback because they're reaching the right market. And I didn't. I didn't notice that until I was talking to somebody earlier and I was like, you know, we get the clients that are at the premium of the market. And I was like, wait a minute. Some clients didn't start at the top of the market. They raised their prices, but it was all because the way they were positioned in the marketplace and what they communicated and, you know, all of that allowed them to do that. Yeah. And I guess when you're, I mean, you're coming in, you're looking at their marketing overall today's subject that, you know, the problem solving part, how often does that come up? Is how, how frequently with the businesses you're consulting with, is that a, a big part of their, um, you know, what they they need to adjust? That's the whole, that's the whole caboodle, really. Once you structure your whole company to be about solving problems, that's all the customer cares about. And so every phone call is strategic. It's around what are we trying to solve for the customer on this phone call? Are we trying to help them get a better idea of what their problem is or their situation? Um, you have a purpose behind everything, and if it's problem solving, then it tends to filter and go throughout the company. And it's I've just seen um, everything from where this meeting is going to solve what for the customer. Why are we having this? Why are you calling the customer? Right. What are you doing for them? Not what does your widget or service or whatever do? So every time I hear that problem solving a problem solving problem, I, all I hear in the back of my head is just dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> wait, what, wait, what is that? That's uh, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. <laughs> you know, I watch his show on HGTV and he's got the best lines, you know, <laughs> that's so funny. If I got a problem, you'll solve it. That is a great line for sales and marketing. It is. Well, and what we find is when, you know, in B2B, your solutions solve a multitude of problems. And so, um, it's all about if you understand that, then the salesperson or whoever's in that role, it really gives them the freedom to know that they're helping and that they're um, coming from an educational point of view. And the customers can feel that, oh, and it keeps you almost like an entrepreneurial mindset of spotting opportunity. Right. Um, so I guess, I mean, the companies you work with, you kind of have a self-selecting crowd, which has got to be nice because if they're coming to you saying, and they have marketing problems and they know it. 
So they're talking to a consultant about it. Then they're really looking to make changes and they're open to make changes and they're open to, uh, you know, to talking to you about solving these problems. Yeah. You know, we just, this is a good time. Actually. Um, I was very firm on not accepting one-offs. Um, you know, if you came to us and you said, I just want a website, I would usually just refer you. I would try to educate you on you need a process approach, you know, because even if you build it, how are you going to get traffic to it? So I would bring those questions up and those that it resonated with, they would they would usually sign on. But those are nah, I just want a website. I don't really. So I usually send. But I've discovered lately, sometimes you got to have the conversation and the talk about um, what they want so you can then talk about what they need. And so we start accepting some of that a la carte stuff just because we know they want it. And then we could move forward with the conversation about what they need. You don't know what else you're going to uncover, I guess, too. Absolutely. Can you give some examples of uh, some some clients? I mean, you don't have to name names or anything like that, but some situations you come into and and solutions, uh, things that worked out, things that didn't, that kind of stuff? Yep. So um, uh, we were working with a um, accounting company and the great thing about them is the owner really wanted the staff to know a lot of the problems they solve and all the other services that they offer. And so what we did was put together a campaign where um, their strategic monthly um, meetings and meetings that were set up where the owner just kind of gave a brief overview of here's all the services we have and here's the things that we look for and what would make them a good candidate. And um, it was, it was good to see the staff started, you know, when they were on the phone with clients start to actually make those inter service introductions saying, Hey, did you know this? You might be a good candidate for this. We can actually help you solve that. And, um, we saw over a three-month period an increase in new services being offered to existing clients. Just by bringing them up, basically, like, hey, we can solve this problem and this problem as well if you have it. Yep. And it, it, it made sense for the staff because they were able to see like, oh, I've talked to people on the phone that mentioned these problems. And I didn't know we could actually help them with their payroll. And we had a, a peer group that if they wanted to have a private sessions with other business owners and... Um, we could actually take care of, uh, we could actually be a fractional member or CFO of their team. And it was just enlightening to see the staff get behind that and say, okay, we're solving, we're helping our existing clients. Right. And I guess it sounds like, I mean, a lot of this, this is crosses over between sales and marketing. The lines are really blurred. I agree with you, Sky. I mean, it seems blurred, but you know, sales is sort of a type of marketing, to be honest. Oh, I meant that as a good thing too. I mean, the more you can blur the line between sales and marketing, in my opinion, the better. Yeah, no, I agree. So my big point of view on this is sales is under the header of marketing because really um, they're a communication vehicle to prospects and clients. Um, and it just happens to be too that because they're so front-facing, they're also the best data point and research to figure out what are people actually saying and what are the actual conversations that you're having, yep. um, which then you can coordinate back to your messaging to track more. So you approach it from a marketing centric. I mean, I, I've always told in my, uh, we might have to fight over this. I don't know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Patrick, uh, I've always told my people that the marketing department works for sales. 
And in our company, that's kind of how we run. It doesn't mean it has to run that way everywhere, of course, but it sounds like you uh, kind of put forward a, a structure where sales is working for marketing more. I would say yes, only because in the small business, um, there needs to be the, somebody to be the head of the coordination and the conversations. And usually in a small business, sales is not offering up insights. <laughs> They're out there right. trying to pound the and so somebody has to say, hey, we got to have the go the come to meeting and we got to have the chat. What are you what are prospects talking to you about? Are is it hard to demonstrate the value? Are they not seeing the value? And it's it's easy to get that feedback from them and, and also look at emails around the questions that clients are asking and being able to map that back to the marketing and say, well, we can address that on the website or we can address that with a standard email template and smooth out the sales cycle as well as the communication. How do you find salespeople? I mean, if you come into a company and say, hey, things need to work around marketing more, how do the salespeople usually react to that? I mean, I, I could see some instances where they would fight it and some instances where they would be glad that they're just handling the last stage of it kind of and marketing is doing a lot more of the setting up and, and taking care of business for them. Well, the way we approach it um, is, is that we are, we're kind of coming in to make their life easier. And right. because we know the reason that sales is so hard is because marketing does a bad job at communication. And so we come in immediately and say, look, what we're trying to do is make it so when a client um, comes, they're more educated, they're more trusting, which then should be able to help you in your conversations. And they're like, oh, so you're here to help 100%. So when we come in, we just address with them that we're here to help and not cause them more work, but in fact, gather the insights we need to give them the tools and arm them with the information they need to push right. through and break through. Have the clients kind of better targeted, more ready to go and have more information on what they need for the salesperson to kind of pick up with. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think salespeople would fight that. No, I don't think they would fight it either. I think it's also, you know, how you present it to them, but you know, with sales, you know, PR sales, marketing, um, all becoming so integrated today and such a vital component of the whole intelligent promotion cycle. I think that, um, you know, having those discussions and really having marketing get from the front lines, you know, they're the sales are the front lines. They're out there like finding out what's really going on. Right. And, you know, having that relayed back to marketing or having marketing take the lead to do that, to then figure out how to communicate to solve those problems is um, kind of an age old problem. Right. It is. Uh, that's been, you know, the common frustration is, you know, when LinkedIn and all these tools started happening, and even before then, salespeople developed their own leads. But um, sometimes I have I, I do small, I would say, consulting conversations with a Fortune 500 or a large company, and I'll be sitting in a room with all salespeople and the head of sales, and they typically say our marketing team sucks. They send us unqualified, wasting my time, da 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 da. What? I've never heard that before. I, I mean, either. <laughs> <laughs> That's like this, you know, sales are up. It's all sales. You know, sales are down. It's all marketing. <laughs> and quite frankly, they'll say the best uh, tactic or thing we did was put on an event 
and I invite all these prospects and had some speakers and that worked. And I said, of course that worked. <laughs> um, that's something that the marketing team should be thinking of to help address the trust and the information. And as I, it's all dating and salespeople know this, it's going to be multiple conversations, which I call multiple dates before you close that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, marketing should position uh, the company and its solutions as the best date or, you know, best possible way to go on that date um, and have that conversation. They're the matchmaker. Oh, in a, in a sense. And then, you know, the salesperson has to do the dancing and if they can't dance, they have to get off the floor. <laughs> if you want to close the deal, learn to dance sales. <laughs> All right. That's great. I got a handful of other things I want to go over, but I want to take a quick break here um, before we go too long. When we come back from the break, we'll be talking more about solving problems versus providing solutions with Patrick McFadden. Patrick, so something to think about. I want to um, see if you can pull up a fail example for us. You talked about a success uh, a minute ago, but if you can uh, find somewhere where something happened, where uh, maybe where you weren't able ultimately to help people or where things didn't go right necessarily at first. People always love hearing about that kind of stuff. And then uh, we'll have much more after the break with Patrick McFadden and our lovely co-host, Carla Jo Helms and myself. Hi, this is Rachel Simon with Connect the Dots Digital. We work with subject matter experts, company founders, executives, and industry leaders to help them develop thought leadership and leverage their relationships on LinkedIn. Managing individual LinkedIn accounts, we identify and connect in a strategic way with client targets. We showcase thought leadership by sharing valuable content that resonates with your audience. Finally, we develop and send personal LinkedIn messages to connections that establish trusted relationships, lead to conversations, and add warm leads to the sales pipeline. Through this strategy, clients exponentially increase their targeted connections and have closed over $200,000 in new business within a year. Learn more at connectthedotsdigital.com. All right, we're back from the break. I'm uh, your host, Sky Cassidy. You're listening to the Iffy Market Podcast. We've got our lovely co-host, Carla Jo Helms, here with us. Howdy, howdy. And we're talking to Patrick McFadden uh, about solving problems versus providing solutions in your marketing. He is the founder of Indispensable Marketing, where he dispenses indispensable marketing consulting advice. Patrick, thanks for jumping back on. Let's get right into it. Problem solving. Let's talk some more, uh, more about that. Okay. You know, I really think I want to give some actionable advice on what to do with this. Um, So if you really want to know the problems that you solve and and what, quite frankly, what your organization does well, we have two methods that we deploy. Um, The first is actually, to believe it or not, is to go to your testimonials and reviews. And a lot of times clients will tell you, you know, they were the best because they um, cleaned up very thoroughly and left the, left the, my yard exactly like it was. Or they'll say, you know, I've li- I loved and enjoyed working with them because they always let me know what they can do and what they can't. Or I enjoy the fact that they uh, always return my phone call in a timely and prompt, prompt manner. And so the reviews actually tell you what problem you're solving for that industry and, you know, from my experience, there's a couple of industries that just have common problems no matter what. Uh, I hear that attorneys don't return phone calls. <laughs> um, 
in the terms of a, a commercial repair B2B type situations. Um, they would say that the servicing company doesn't show up on time, does not do the work as performed or as promised. <laughs> so those kind of become the buttons that you can use in the marketing to get attention. And then they can then lead with their, then they can communicate the message of what they do to solve the problem. That's kind of how I see it. You 100% nailed it. That's the That's brilliant. <laughs> if I say so, if I say so myself. <laughs> the service you're providing might be tangential to, I mean, there's a bunch of people providing it and why would they serve you? I know we have a plumbing company out here that their whole commercial is like, yeah, you know, we're plumbing. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to tell you we show up on time and smell good. And that's it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you know, plumbers do plumbing, but here's the things that you hate about plumbers. Yeah. And the beauty about it is you're in the traction business. If your client or customer has that problem, you then say, oh, we're that company for you if you're having this problem. And I will pay whatever to make sure you show up and you don't stink. Right. So you're changing the conversation from can you unplug this toilet to don't even think about that. Just will you be on time? Will you this? Will you that? I, I hate that we're getting into B2C stuff, but let's pretend it's a, uh, a business toilet. Yeah. No, same thing. <laughs> well, or attorneys, they don't return calls, right? That's a beat. It. Yeah. 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 That's a huge frustration. Marketing can sell people on on talking to sales and getting in the pipeline and you're kind of already sold on the service. Now it's just technically going through the steps because of something that's not even related to the service necessarily. Absolutely. And B2B, you know, consulting is consulting is consulting. Um, accounting is accounting is accounting. Uh, but what you want is that customer that says, I buy into your way of solving my specific problem. And so because of that, I want to work with you because your way of addressing the problem resonates with me. Right. It's a semi-commodity almost in that there's not a huge differentiator other than I live in your town for, for a lot of these kind of services. Absolutely. And that I have a specific way that I want to address doing the work for you. And if you buy into that way, it, it's no different. I always like to use these examples because it, it's so clear that if you said, I like P90X because I can get in shape in 90 days. Well, if you buy into that 90 day philosophy, you're going to buy the program. Right. But if you say, no, I want to buy into the, the 60 day program. Well, then, then you're going to buy that one. So it's no right or wrong. It's just what fits you and the way you want to solve that problem. Right. All right. I love it. Hey, so what are the top three problems that your prospects that become your clients come to you for? What are the top three issues that your prospects and clients are trying to solve? I would say um, number one is they want their marketing to work. <laughs> Essentially, um, they want to see increased visibility and the phone ringing and making sure that it's driving phone calls from that standpoint. Um, I would say the second thing is Usually they'll, they'll know that it's messy, that it's uncontrolled, they're spending, and they don't know if it's really working. Um, okay. And so they want somebody to come in and provide clarity on that. And um, thirdly, usually um, it's inconsistency in their branding and messaging. It's, usually they'll say, look, I got five different marketing pieces. I know I need to get it together. 
I was told you can help streamline this and, and build a brand for us. And so those are the three that we typically deal with. So the first one is they have just a lack of volume or a lack of leads that they're trying to solve, obviously, yeah. right? The second one is they're trying to get better return on investment for what, or at least know what their return on investment is for everything that's out there. They might think it's hodgepodge. They may not know. And the third one is they are like not systematic yet. It's not dovetailed. It's not tied in together holistically. So those are the three major problems that people are coming to you for. Is that right? Absolutely. Wow. That sounds uh, really I could see that. It sounds common to a business owner. I could see how that would be in the range of companies that you work with. And that would be really valuable to solve. Yeah, I find number two jumps out to me because that's something I worry about all the time. We're saying, hey, we're putting money into this, but there's just a concern that it's being, you know, the efficiency is being funneled away somehow. This particular AdWords campaign, it, you know, it just, you've, you've got holes and it's just, your your budget's just leaking out and not not actually getting where it's supposed to go. Whether it's a broken form somewhere, or a broken link, or wrong adwords, or whatever it is, it's just like something is bleeding. You're, you're being bled. Your marketing's being bled dry, basically, and you're not actually getting anything for it. Yep. And I like I give, this is like real time right here. So we're in talks with the company right now, and they reached out because they're spending. I, I, I won't say the client's name, but they're spending this four grand on pay-per-click uh, Google AdWords. And they've noticed a trend in the decline of the leads that they're getting. And another thing is they quite frankly admitted to me, they use a execution agency, but they would never go to them for consulting. And they were really looking for us to drive strategy and consulting and see if we could refine what's going on because they know that they also want to improve their rankings from an organic standpoint to maybe decrease on some of that ad spend. And in diving and having conversations with them, you know, some of the things I look at is, okay, what you should be using some technology that can track keywords that converts to calls. And I would say, are we qualifying what good, what are good calls, what are bad calls? And then are we diving deeper and saying this keyword drove 10 or 50 or 20 quality calls. Why don't we take that keyword and then develop a quarterly theme around it that addresses problems, but also gives us the traffic to rank for that organic word that drives phone calls. And so they're like, oh, I can see that working. And then why aren't we also deploying that specific keyword in all of our online presence which could consist of different profiles and business directories and all that stuff. And it just improved. And they wanted to know if it's even working properly too. So just also dive into that data. So it's fascinating what you just said. We, we got to talk more uh, about that because um, we have a specific instance in our company where we noticed uh, a new Google ad campaign and I don't want to uh, speak ill of Google, but here I go. Um, <laughs> When we started it, when we started the campaign, we were seeing stuff coming in from it and it worked well for about two weeks. Things seemed to be normal and then suddenly it started dropping off inbound calls, uh, traffic from it, actual results. And then we turned it off and then we turned, uh, 
another variation back on and we saw the same thing. And my paranoia kicked in where I said, somebody's funneling the real traffic off. This is a classic kind of fulfillment issue. I feel like where a company will, you know, initially show you results. And then once you're, once you're in, they don't have to actually give you results anymore. They just give you something and you're getting filler. And I started feeling like, Hey, I think we're getting filler. Like we're getting traffic, but these don't seem to be real people. Initially they were, and now they're not. And so we got really paranoid about it and about Google's AdWords and whether it was actually going anywhere, whether they were dialing back the type of traffic you're getting. And my thought was, I mean, take Google out of the picture, but any company that has a product that's limited and they have more people that want to buy it than they have of it. So if you've got a company that can send 500 people somewhere in a day, but they have, you know, 10,000 people who want those people sent to them. um, I mean, you saw it with Wells Fargo. You see it, you see individual people within an organization saying, well, I, I can make a lot more money if I just kind of make up these other areas, if I just start sending stuff. So we started getting paranoid that we were getting fake traffic pushed to our site. Um, I know years ago, I remember seeing there was a case where there were hackers that were posing as marketers, uh, I think out of Europe, and basically they were doing affiliate marketing and driving traffic to sites. They weren't stealing credit card information or anything like that. All these hackers were due, signing up for these affiliate programs, getting a virus on people's uh, computers that would just send them to the sites through their link that they had the affiliates with. So these people were getting massive amounts of web traffic and paying these people for it, but it was all fake traffic. None of it resulted in sales. It didn't turn into leads. It didn't go anywhere because people were trying to go one place and they got redirected the wrong place. And so I feel like number two for me kind of hit on that, that paranoia that you can put a lot of money into something. And when you're talking about digital stuff online, you don't really know what, what, who's coming, what you're seeing, where it's going. You know, you can tell, you can tell it's strange, you know, actual leads to sales dropped. The salespeople aren't seeing what they were seeing from it anymore. Um, but that's that's a scary area. Yeah, and depending, you know, the only thing I could say is you got to have that blended approach to lead generation um, to make sure you got different angles at bringing in the business. Um, first, because most people need that touch in different formats to and need it repeatedly to you know actually have a reach out or a call to action. But you also don't want to be a slave to one thing, then then you're like, oh man, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that we noticed that was useful when you talk about tools for knowing if you're getting calls from a specific campaign, that kind of stuff was web visitor tracking. Because yeah. a lot of our stuff was we're driving web traffic and we see certain type of hits and from certain IPs that map to certain companies. And then at some point in the campaign, suddenly it's coming from all these other random areas. And when you can analyze those numbers and there's a lot of like really expensive, inexpensive solutions out there for it. Even seeing, you know, sudden bursts of traffic from just from seemingly random places that you can tell a lot more if, if real things are happening, even if the people don't convert through, you see that, that it's a real company hitting your site, that kind of stuff. Yep. I will tell you too, um, from a, it's really more on social media the real big difference today in driving leads on a social standpoint, you have to be so personalized in your messaging that the context, like you literally have to say digital agency owners, like you have to go so deep. So that person actually looks at it, but it's so effective when you go that narrow. Um, 
that's one of the things that I've seen that's more and more from a social standpoint, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook, you really have to say almost that industry person's name in terms of a title and that converts better. Like, hey, SEO agency owner, do you hate da 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 da? And then it gets their attention. Oh, you're not talking about necessarily posts. I mean, maybe this would be posts, but if you when you put ads up on these on the social areas, you have to be yeah. you have to speak directly to someone basically. Yep. Have have a oh, I guess that's an area where have a persona, and you you might even put a specific title out that kind of thing. But but come up with an actual person and then just talk to them in your ad. Yep, I mean. You, you can no longer, you can't, I mean, it's sometimes it's not even good just to say, hey, small business owner. It's like, hey, business owner with five to 10 employees. Do you, like, you have to go that narrow. Now, now I've joked with my people about going even more narrow where we say, hey, we want to target Patrick McFadden. Uh, put up an ad word on LinkedIn. Put up an ad on LinkedIn that says, hey, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick, over here. We want to talk to you about this. Yeah, you, Patrick McFadden of Richmond, Virginia. You know, we're exploring that now um, with one of our clients um, targeting the the head of procurement for a particular department, but uh, using it to target the employees of this company saying that your boss needs to know about X um, using Mm -hmm. there. So we're actually... Uh, testing that now. That's nice. We've also joked in the past about buying a billboard in front of a specific business we want to have as a client and just putting the person's name up here. Hey, (laughs) if anybody sees Joe, tell him to call us. (laughs) Well, you know, we do it in our email marketing and we do it in other ways. Why couldn't that work? Yeah. If you have a high enough value to your product, then, you know, you can do those kind of much more targeted things. But you're saying with social media, with the ads, get as targeted as you can without going one off like that in your ads to, to really get the returns you're looking for. Yeah. And I have no problem with billboards. It's just that the cost needs to come down. Like if billboards cost came down to the actual results of it, I would spend the money on a billboard because it's all about the attention versus the cost. Yeah. Whatever marketing it's- works. Billboards work for video games and shoes. You're not using them so much for, you know, small business B2B stuff. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> not we always tell people there's a marketing channel for everything and you know we have a marketing product we we provide data and it's not for everybody and sometimes we talk to people and find out no they need a billboard you know they they don't they don't need to do emailing and and calling and that kind of stuff um so yeah billboards just just a funny example i remember it coming up one time for us saying what if we targeted a specific company this way that we want as a client would that work <laughs> and i remember our conversation came around to yeah, the cost value just isn't there. You you can't do that. Um, it, it's just way too expensive per and way too much work. But it was a fun project to think about. Oh, absolutely. That leads me to my, I have a, a point of view on that too, that I always say every tactic works when it's determined by the strategy. And works somewhere again. Yep. You just have to make sure it's the right tactic for your somewhere. Yep. In my point of like, if it's determined by the strategy, which is who is our clients, how do we best reach them, where do they hang out? If it's determined by the strategy, then it, it typically it will work. So speaking of that, you mentioned an example earlier of a, a campaign or two where you'd help people. Um, can you give us a couple examples of uh, 
of kind of fails uh, when you're working with people, either, you know, something they did that sabotaged um, uh, having success or, or a misstep that you made and learned from uh, working with a client? Absolutely. I would say we early on, uh, we had taken on this client that was, they're heavy B2B, but their B2B is Fortune 500 companies. <laughs> and um, it didn't turn out well, primarily because first I, I made, and we made a mistake by, we had interviewed the internal team, but um, we didn't get a chance to interview the clients of our client. And I think that derailed the strategy in terms of tactics, the tactical implementation a little bit. And it didn't turn into a good engagement. We weren't able to provide the results that they really needed. And and really what they needed was more of the sales people out there pounding the pavement, making the phone calls. It's very relationship driven. Um, we were taking sort of a 75% online, 25% offline, but it should have been flipped. It should have been uh, 75% offline, 25% online. I guess that's where you mentioned earlier the kind of marketing-centric tactic. That's not that's not the best model for every company, and that may have been a little off on, on this one. You know, marketing is an initial touch a little bit, and then there's a whole lot of sales. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so that taught, it definitely taught me you got to go even more narrow about who you can best serve and who you can best help um, with the services you provide. And so that did give me a, a chance to revamp about who we best serve and, and how we provide the services that we that we do. Um, and so this definitely was an, an enlightening and uh, helpful in the development of the business model. Really helped you focus on your audiences, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Fortune 500, I feel like a lot of steak dinners and salespeople is <laughs> you have to have for that. You, you've really got to be golfing with them and, and going to dinners and uh, uh, taking paying for their family vacations and stuff. <laughs> no, you're, it's heavy relationship driven. Uh, but, you know, uh, looking back, I think the best way to actually do it um, and it's hard because they have to have so many conversations with so many people um, to actually drill down to what's the core thing that they're trying to do. You know, because when you're dealing with different size departments and heads, um, but I, I really looking back, I think the best way we probably could have helped them was to, and this is where I knew it would have been a good fit. We would have to go very deep on the contextual of information and say, like, this person wants to address this. Here's some information on that. But it's, you're probably looking at 10 to 12 personas. Right. Uh, and we just didn't have the resources to execute that. Finding the problem for every person in the departments affected and then and then giving and addressing that for every one of them kind of. Yeah. Whew, yeah. That sounds like fun. Hey, you deal with companies that big. That's, uh, you know, that's that's what happens. I want to get to a couple general things here. Marketing success rituals for your own marketing, for this type of marketing. Do you have any specific things? Uh, I know you'd mentioned before the kind of the top three issues that you see going into stuff, but you have any kind of quick hitting advice you'd give to people? Hey, do this. Don't do that um, type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, you should all in your B2B. You must institute quarterly interviews of your clients. Um, to stay, what's trending, how is buying shifting in your industry, 
Uh, why do clients stay? Because they come to you for an initial reason, but they stay for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think quarterly interviews is definitely a success ritual. Um, another one would be to make sure, um, I would say you're mapping it's almost just taking what I found is that most people can get that information, but they don't do anything with it. So make sure you're mapping that information back to the different marketing assets you have in terms of what you're going to do to push out the message. And then thirdly, be patient. (laughs) Stuff takes a while to work and you need to measure it too. And so you need to be able to have good data to make sound decisions on And you have to manage your client's expectations on that patience because that's really sometimes where those quarterly calls, those quarterly strategy meetings really benefit you the best is, you know, they have expectations and sometimes things are long-term, longer-term propositions, right? Got that right. (laughs) I found on managing client expectations, we've run into a problem a couple times where we misstep, where we over-promised on something that wasn't the problem they needed solved anyway. But then when you, when you overpromise and you can't quite deliver in that area, then it becomes a problem um, because they didn't care about it. They didn't care if that was done at all, but then you overpromise on a specific uh, aspect. And suddenly that's, that's what ends up being highlighted. Like, Oh, Hey, we were going to do this, but this didn't really get done when initially they didn't care if that was in there. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the problem they need solved, but it becomes the problem. And now you kind of created a problem by again the, the not by creating expectations that weren't even necessary. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, the top three things when we're engaging on a prospective conversation is what are the results you're looking for? How will it be measured? And thirdly, what's the value of getting this solved? Like, what does it do for you? If we get those three things before every engagement, then we have a good chance of knowing whether we can help or not. Right. Excellent. Um, we're coming up on the end here. Anything else you want to uh, throw out there? Any other questions you have, Carla Joe Helms? Uh, I love I use your full name. No, I don't think I have any questions. Well, I have one more. One more. So when clients come to you, and I do understand that I'm about to ask you something that depends on many things, right? Mm-hmm. But they're coming to you from for lack of leads, you know, ROI issues or, you know, not cohesive branding and marketing messages. But do they ask you, tell me, Patrick, what's the typical amount of time that you can help me turn this around? Do you have that sort of time frame for them? Uh, Some some do ask. Um, So there's two answers to that. If they have a sometimes leads are coming in, they're just not converting. So we say, if you need business, like in the next 30 days, 60 days, we would rather work on lead conversion to see if you're already having leads coming in. You just don't have a great conversion process. Um, So usually we say that uh, anything longer than that, we're going to, if you can wait to about three to sometimes six months, depending on your type of business, that's usually what we say. Um, but if you need business immediately, we just say, let's work on conversion. Like what happens when somebody asks for more information? Uh, how do we uh, demonstrate the value to them? Is it through proposal, presentation, conversation, demo? Uh, what happens when they don't say yes immediately? How do we nurture them? Do they go on a newsletter? Do we have uh, systematic follow-up calls? Uh, do we have anything? I made up something one day. It was like, why don't we just have a scope validation call or something? You know, validating the scope. 
Um, and then what's that? <laughs> like, I think I know what it means. That's kind of cool. Like, like okay, wait. Sounds hold on. awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm laughing here. It's a validation. Look, we have the scope of work for you that we're doing. We just want to validate it. You're awesome. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know what happened? So, give me an example of a scope validation call. Oh well, you know, basically, it's hey, uh, last time we chatted, you mentioned uh, you wanted to do these three specific things. I want to make sure nothing's changing your business and uh, and validate that these are what you want to have happen. And then you go over it and you say, okay, well, it looks like we have exactly what you need, Mr. Prospect. I guess the answer. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Good. What? So I think we're going to go on to GoDaddy as soon as we're done here and look for scopevalidation.com. Um, <laughs> I love the ring to that. If there was a horse named Scope Validation, I would I would bet on it. Right? Uh, Good. It just has a sound to it that makes me smile. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to tell you how I got that. Um, I went to this economic meeting one day here and uh, the county or the city said, yeah, we just engaged with this engineering company to reroute the bus system and all this stuff. And he said, the good thing about it is they just went through the scope validation. I said, uh, you know, and I said, wait a minute. They're working on like this two, five, I don't know, $10 million project. And I said, you would need a scope validation. But even saying that and putting that in your proposal demonstrates the value that we're going to have a conversation dedicated to getting what I want from your services. So this episode doesn't air for another couple weeks. Um, I think we're going to be airing around uh, beginning of December. If that domain is still available around the beginning of December, because it's available right now, <laughs> I think you should register scopevalidation.com. That is way too good of a, a domain. Let me double check I didn't misspell it. That's quite possible. <laughs> Those are big words for me. So uh, that's great, though. A scope validation call. I think the the pleasant soundingness that's not a word I'm sure but of of scope validation I feel like it would help you get on a call with somebody who asked to have that call with you as well. Absolutely. The last thing part of that lead conversion process is what happens, you know, once somebody says yes, how do you um orientate them to your company? You know, for my company, once somebody says yes, I said now here's who you have access to. Here are the tools that we're going to be using. Here's some uh, information about who to contact and what you need to know. Here's how we can get kicked off fast. You know, so how do you know, how do you orientate somebody once they say yes? I think you're saying yes. Yes. As in being open to talking, basically getting into the sales cycle. Yeah. You know, to being a client. Oh, you know, I misunderstood that say, too. Yeah. Once they say yes, what do they get access to? You know, oh, I got I've, you. I've built up the value of my business on the back that I do two speaking engagements a month, sometimes three. And I'll say, look, you know, when you hire us, you're also getting access to my speaking engagements. And I frequently, it also helps because it builds the value. I see clients show up and they're like, I just want to stand up and say everything that he said, we go over in real meetings <laughs> and it validates even more and more. And it also validates them that they're working with somebody that's an expert. Yeah. Especially consulting. I mean, you're in an industry that has uh, somewhat of a bad rap. Maybe I think a lot of people are paranoid that you hire a consultant and, you know, it's worse than Google AdWords. Your money just kind of bleeds away and you say, wait, what did I get for that? Yeah, actually. Oh man, I'm, I'm going to make this the best episode ever. So <laughs> I have figured out how to address that. Um, 
I frequently attend networking. Tell us, Sir Patrick. Tell us. I, I sure will. So I figured it out because I went to a, a meeting and a client was there and he said, you know, the best thing about indispensable marketing is I know what I'm paying for. I said, huh. He said, their company sends out these weekly updates around what happened to my account. What did they touch on my website? What did they do for social? And I said, and I was thinking about switching the weekly updates to bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, man, these weekly updates. But we have premium paying clients. And so, um, and then I and then I heard it again in another meeting where a client said the same thing that I get these emails weekly about, you know, what happened to my account and I know what I'm paying for and I don't have a problem paying. Right. There you're actually doing something, not just rubbing a crystal ball and saying, well, Why don't you try this? Yep. You know what you should do? More marketing and <laughs> you know, that came about because yeah, I noticed the industry sends these monthly reports with just analytics. And I said, every mm-hmm. client complains. I said, not at this time. I said, every single small business owner complains about that. And I said, okay, well, I said, well, if we just send something weekly to said, hey, we, you know, we drafted a blog. We reviewed the social media production. Uh, we also researched the keywords. Um uh, we uh, had a team meeting around your account. These three things came up. Uh, and it's just, they just love that stuff. And then by the time you get to the end of the month, it's almost just compiling the weekly updates into a, a, a report or review presentation. So the work is almost done for yeah. you weekly and they understand how we got to the that result. I would say that's a great pain point for any company out there providing a B2B service is to make sure the people you're providing it to know what you're actually providing and that you're, that report is almost as important as anything. Otherwise, yeah, you feel like eh, we're paying these guys, but I don't think anything's happening. I don't know. You know, it's like when you have an employee that doesn't, doesn't tell you what they do in meetings, they just sit there quietly. And then at the end of the year, you're like, why do we have this person? I don't think they do anything because they didn't tell me what they do. Yeah. You know, we call those status reports and we do monthly, quarterly, um, annual status reports and go over the scope of work. So we've, I guess we validate the scope of work, Patrick, kudos, right? (laughs) And uh, we say, this is what we've delivered for you. These are the statistics. These are the results. We go over the strategy. How's it change? You know, how's it going? Do we need to change? Um, Yeah. So thank you. I feel validated. (laughs) Real quick, uh, another one. So uh, I've been fired before for getting a company from 750 to a million because we didn't have a way to measure the results to show that it was us that made it happen. Oh, mm. wow. That's a really good story. That is yep. that's a good fail because you succeeded and then failed. That's a really good story. <laughs> yeah. So what'd you do? Did you like, okay, look in the mirror, you know, lick your wounds and say, oh, it's never going to happen again. What did you do? It's, that's the reason we have the processes we do now. It never happened. Yeah. It never ha- we have, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start these weekly updates because you're going to know how you were able to grow your business and that we were a part of it. And um, we have strategic things that we do to highlight, like when our client accomplishes something, we make sure we share it on our social. So we have strategic things that we do to keep our client acknowledging that we had a part to play in the growth of their business, which I, it does keep us around, and our clients um, love the fact that we're sharing things that are about them. 
Awesome. Patrick McFadden has been on with us today, Indispensable Marketing. We've been discussing uh, solving problems versus providing solutions with your marketing. And a couple places you can find Patrick, of course, on the show notes to the episode, we'll have all this information as well. LinkedIn, you can find him. Uh, Instagram, we've got PMCFadden7. Patrick, I've got a handful of different contact info here for you. I don't want to throw everything out to everybody. I've got your social security number, your cell phone number, your mother's maiden name. We'll keep that. What do you want? What do you want to give out? I don't want to list out every social media you have unless you unless you want it out. No, I would say um, you will always find me on LinkedIn, Patrick McFadden, um, and you will just say indispensable marketing. You'll find me. Indispensablemarketing.com, of course. Uh, Patrick had mentioned. Look him up on LinkedIn, the best ways to get in touch with him. Um, again, the show notes, you can find them. Uh, for our show, please uh, share us, tell a friend, tell a colleague, um, spread the word around, give us a good review. We always appreciate that. So on behalf of uh, Carla Joe Helms and the Iffy Market team and Patrick McFadden of Indispensable Marketing, thank you for listening to the Iffy Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.